Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag. And I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right? I mean, no, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays a means floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get a mean in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Tom? What is the goat of street foods? Like capital G-O-A-T? Like No, it cannot be goat itself, unless it is. But what is the goat of street foods? Okay, I'm I'm gonna avoid saying the like London Italian sausage that you can get from like the street vendors at 3 a.m. coming home from a, a late night in Russell Square. Like in Berlin? No, I'm in London. No, London is not the answer to this question in any form or fashion. I'm saying I'm avoiding it, Kevin. I'm, I'm avoiding that answer, even though I have probably consumed more of those Italian sausages that are piping hot with the, with the peppers and the onions and probably have taken years off my life. But I digress. The answer for me, I've never had a Philly cheesesteak that has done me wrong. So I'm going to go with the Philly cheesesteak. It is hot. In Vietnam, those little mini flour and coconut discs that are little jewels topped with ground shrimp and ground onion, I must have had like a thousand of those in a two-week span in Vietnam. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, I'm going to make a bold statement here. I thought this was one of the most compelling episodes in Top Chef history. I love this episode. The mise en place, all that. I feel like, 
Hey, for all the producers out there, Bravo or Magical Elves, I want you to do me a favor. Can you please send me just the raw video of the Mies and Plas race? Because I want to study it. I want to see what eight of the best chefs in the world, how they do all of these different dice, everything and the avocado, the, the de shrimp, the deep pooping of the shrimp, all of it. I want to see all of that in its entirety, not like a, a two minute, you know, uh, sizzle reel of it. It was so fun to watch. Um, and I got the, you know what, Kevin, like from the beginning, it was getting Gagan Anand to come in and just have a beer with the crew and opening few minutes there. It was like, I don't know. It was a great episode. And I love this fastest, even though it was a little bit gimmicky with the Fast and Furious franchise. I get it. We had that Jurassic Park one from last season. This was a tremendous episode. Yeah, and I, I think it's a really good il illustration of how compelling the show is as competition. And look, there is nothing wrong with following contestants into a Whole Foods or watching them brood at home or going to more personal stories. I, I think that stuff is essential to the soul of the show. But it just moved and moved. It was an exciting hour of television. Um, it I could have watched them prep fish and depith orange for hours. It was just riveting. And, um, and there's something about the ticking clock that is exciting, that is, it creates freneticism. You feel the pressure. Um, we were glued to the screen. And so I, I just think this was converting the mise en place from a quick fire into the basis of an elimination challenge and then giving the chefs only 30 minutes to work was just brilliant. And of course I love the quick fire because what's better than street food. They come in with Judy Jew, uh, who is famous for soul bird. It's got two locations, I think in London, uh, one is on in West London. One is near Canary wharf. I think they got one of the Aria now. Um, I think they got one mm. of the Aria if you find yourself there for some summer league. Um, and, and she, uh, she is a street, street food enthusiast. Soul bird is a street food concept. Got a Korean fried chicken, Korean grilled chicken, and they got to go pick up a passport. Each of the can uh, each of the chef testants, they go to the map. What country do you want? You don't know the dish, but you will know the country. And we got Kevin. Really oh, this choices. is my question. This is my question, Kevin. You're you're not a chef, but let's say you're an eater and you see that board with the cuisines from the, the different passports, which one are you grabbing? Cause we've got Canada, Colombia, India, Vietnam, Japan, Argentina, Jamaica, Turkey, and China. Which street food are you going for? Which one are you grabbing? I'm probably going Donner kebab, mm. right? Cause you know what you're going to get there. Like, you know, pretty much if you go Argentina, you're getting empanadas, right? You know that if you're going, actually the other one you could do is go Canada. Cause you know, you're getting poutine. Right. There, there's no other really, I think, definitive Canadian street food. Um, so if you if you want to make fries, you do that. Right. I, I think China and Southeast Asia are are chancy. And we saw that with Buddha, who struggled, even though he ultimately won the quick fire, because like making crepes and noodles on the fly like that's you don't know what you're going to get. I think India, anything is game. I would assume I would have thought you may have gotten a samosa. Right. So, you know, you're going to be working with pastries. Had I known jerk chicken was going to be on there, I, I would have done that. But I'm thinking 
when she got Jamaica, she's going to be getting a Jamaican patty, which I think is my number yeah. two street food, by the way. But Argentina had the empanadas and Colombia had the arepa. So I get you're trying to go for something a little bit different. So you go with the jerk chicken. But um, I, I thought this was a really solid quick fire. Um, and I thought Gabri was going to take this one home. Buddha wins it. But I thought he did an excellent job with the parsnip fries and the chicken gravy, the crispy cheese and the pancetta and mushrooms. Again, this one like speaks to my soul. This dish, I would order that 10 times out of 10. Um, and as good as Buddha did on the uh, on the the essentially like the crepe omelet that he just basically did from from scratch. Uh, with the pork and the shrimp and bean sprouts and coriander, um, I thought what Gabri did uh, was fantastic. I thought that was going to be the winning dish. I, I didn't – actually, I was surprised because, I mean, Tom, if I swap out your french fries, potatoes with parsnips, are you happy? I don't know. I haven't had it. Right. And that's what's I'm, my thing. So I, I applaud Gabri. I thought that was – I thought that was a – potentially terrible decision i'm sitting there like why would you ever <laughs> like replace potatoes with parsnips like that's what people who are dieting it's like it's like something i do because i'm trying to you know cut down on my carbs i mean it's just like i, I that was can sort you of, imagine kevin what sylvia would have said if she was on set for that if she, she had witnessed outraged. the atrocity of subbing out the potato for a parsnip potato erasure in, in the poutine is not something i think you would necessarily go for so <laughs> all credit to gabri for Going parsnips and and getting on top. I mean, he is. Uh, they were three: Buddha, Gabri, and Tom for his um, bell puri, which was also kind of chancy because you're making an Indian street food classic for Padma, um, and apparently he just crushed it. In fact, he did a really interesting job on it. Tom did. He he decided so so uh, bell puri is kind of like this this crunchy puffed rice, like um, remember like like in the texture of uh, sugar smacks, you know. And you mix it with veggies and there's like chutney and, and he decided to serve it on a mushroom steak, which I thought was interesting. Um, usually you maybe just get it in a cone or maybe uh, on a little paper plate. And uh, so Tom, Tom kind of got off the schneid after a couple really bad weeks and ended up in the top with Buddha and Gabri. And I got to hand it to the magical elves because they did an amazing job editing this episode, especially the quick fire because it seemed like no one really knew what they were doing. It seemed like this quick, quick fire threw everyone for a loop. And when you had Tom basically saying, I don't know why I chose Indian food because I'm now serving it to Padma. And then he knocks it out of the park. And the same thing with Buddha, where he seemed like he was really struggling and seemed like, oh, I'm going to overcook this. I'm not sure I'm going to get this plated. Um, and he lands it. And Gabri, uh, from the get-go, he said he really wanted to do Canada because he was, you know, he, he's not the most well-traveled. Uh, he's not a globetrotter in that sense. And so he has been to Canada and he wanted to do that one. Uh, but everyone else, it seemed like, oh, I, I don't know how I can pull this off. And for those three dishes, Buddha, Gabri and Tom, hats off to Tom, a huge bounce back episode. We'll get to his elimination challenge next um later in the episode, but yeah, Charbel just, he messed up big time with the tokoyaki. He obviously didn't choose tokoyaki, he chose Jap uh, Japanese food. Uh, and, uh, J Judy was uh, very gracious and just saying like, that was not terribly gracious, actually. Like it didn't <laughs> no, resemble, was... what, what is it? She said, so it didn't resemble it. It didn't speak like you basically captured nothing. You did not do, um, 
the challenge. Was, um, I didn't yeah. taste octopus, no octopus, no tokoyaki. Like, no, it was all, it was just not, no, a huge, a huge swing and a miss. What was interesting is actually he did identify what it was. I mean, he said, okay, it's an octopus fritter. That is essentially what uh, takoyaki is. And um, so it was just a matter of execution. Um, Japanese street food's funny because it is, uh, you know, I, I thought, they, you know, um, you, you can, you can do that. Okonomiyaki. I thought maybe that he'd get the pancake, uh, but no, he, uh, he laid an egg. Nicole's Chinese bubble waffles were not very bubbly. And Sarah apparently did not uh, impress with her filling, which was dry, the beef, shallot, corn, piquillo pepper. Um, but someone I, I didn't know that it was possible to put too much butter in a dough because I will take a very buttery, mm. flaky empanada dough. And we got a little callback with the homemade taunts yeah. at uh, Rupp Arena. She had a little bit of PTSD from the uh, from the boxed waffles episode, and didn't quite um, salvage the uh, the empanadas with uh, with the ground beef. Um, wasn't her best dish, but that's fine in quick fire. The steaks aren't huge in quick fire. So they, you know, they move on. Ali did the donor kebab, which was, I think the safest move. Uh, and who doesn't love a good donor kebab? And he, he, um, was in the middle here. Amar with the, the heavy, again, super heavy array bus, um, from Amar, I, I didn't think they loved that dish. It was in the middle. It wasn't quite in the bottom and Victoire with the, with the jerk chicken, uh, and it seemed like Padma liked it because she was like, what's in that sauce? Uh, but not enough to get in the top three. So the quick fire is is done. We get the passport. Everyone chooses their dishes. And look, um, the elimination challenge. We have a movie product placement, the Fast and the Furious um, franchise. I don't know if Maze is able to come in and talk about the Fast and Furious franchise as our cinephobe movie buff connoisseur but kevin are you a fast and furious um fan i guess i should say uh, I, I enjoyed the first one and i'm embarrassed to say i have not seen one since this funny thing happened with our job um with the nba which is just i my movie consumptions dropped the minute i started covering the league i just think that like time spent in stadiums but I, I i was a huge fan of the first one um i might be seeing the more most uh the, the one coming up that the, the premiere they're going to uh oh. but uh i i do there there's a ton of kinetic energy in the, that film and yes. uh so i'm I, I am not not a fan i i just i've seen only the first kevin do me a favor if you go to see the new one do not see anything in between I want your reaction coming from the first one 22 <laughs> years ago to the 10th one where now Jason Momoa is a sexually fluid, flirty supervillain. That's what I want. Oh, fantastic. Spoiler alert. Jeez, come on. That's just in the trailer, Tom. Okay. All right. I will come on the Count the Dings movie show, the movie phobe. We're going to get Kevin on Cinephobe uh, to watch Fast and... Well, I don't know. Kevin, the, the conceit for Cinephobe is that it has to be 40% or lower on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, this is not going to be that. People love these movies. That means Kevin could watch Tokyo Drift and I think maybe the fourth one are eligible. The fourth one. Yeah. Okay. Which is The Fast and the Furious. Oh, okay. So this is Fast 10. So there's been 10 in the franchise, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And we got a nice little vignette, Maze, before you go. So all of them are basically good movies, in your opinion? They're good motion pictures? One is good okay, because it's Point Break with Cars. Two is all right. And I think that actually might be cinephobe eligible as well. So yeah, it's two okay. and three are cinephobe eligible, maybe four. 
fast five is that's when it reinvented what it was doing completely. And it just became action porn. And then six, seven, eight, nine kind of all blur together in my head. The rock gets mad at Vin Diesel at some point okay. and drops out of the franchise and gets his own spinoff. But now where we're at, it's almost like James Bond meets the Godfather. I don't even know how to describe it. It's so crazy at this point, like the things that they do on a consistent basis. So there's something like a giant rolling ball tank in this new one. Okay. They've already been to space. So who knows what the limit is? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Well, I am so glad we got a fast franchise um, sponsorship on this episode because, Kevin, the the whole fastest conceit here with the Mise Plus, awesome just thrilling and yeah it's gimmick it's a little bit you know i I don't know the 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 lights on the the chef's tables and the sound effects and the the darkened room like they had to play it up just like yet like they did with the jurassic episode from last season but you know what like this is this is fun because it, it feels like it is one of those um conceits that fits with the show the fastest 30 minute elimination challenge where they draw knives. There's three races, three teams. Uh, it, you know, there's so many elements of this. I'd liked, um, what did you think? No, if you're going to do a cross promotional challenge, this is the way to do it. Right. I mean, the fast and the furious is exactly what you want. The mise en place race. It is so funny too, because what's amazing it's not you're captivated by something that I think most people regard as tedious. Like if I had told you, hey, come sit down, come over and I'm going to watch we're going to watch people uh, like divine divine shrimp yeah. or or take the pith off of oranges. And it's going to be riveting. Right. Like mise en place by its very nature is some of the most tedious, repetitive tasks you can imagine in the kitchen. I mean, that's what it is. It's one of the reasons some people don't like cooking is it just and yet. It makes for 
just an incredible race, whether it's a quick fire and particularly here with a lot of stake. What's interesting about it, Tom, is, is so, I mean, the conceit, just to review, is by what you get for winning the race is your first choice of food item, right, for preparing, yep. ultimately preparing a dish. So there's, there's three a drafts. penalty, right? Yeah. So there's, there's a penalty. Like you win it, you're going to get the hamachi or the shrimp. You lose it, you're going to get stuck with prickly pear, right? Um, and so what was interesting about the challenge is that didn't end up being that much of an advantage. Yeah. And I think what I also loved about this, Kevin, besides the drafting conceit and the picking of the, the ingredients, what I loved about it was seeing the awe of the other chefs watching the other chefs do mise en place. So like when Gabri mm-hmm. is filleting the hamachi, they're basically going nuts. They're like, look at this guy. Yes. He's amazing. And when we're sitting home and watching it, I don't know what it looks like to be super fast and super efficient at, at filleting an amachi uh, uh tuna steak basically but when i see the rest of the contestants losing their minds about gabri just like a, a an absolute maestro out there doing this i love that i love to see their reactions because when um you know who else who else was just incredible on on this like um there was the 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 shrimp devaning the shrimp the peas were they're just they're so much better at the average human being at doing this task, but also a couple of them were so much better than the average chef. And you got to see kind of these humble beginnings of their um, kitchen careers is that they were at some point having to prep this for hours on end. And you got to see some of these. I mean, it's like it's like watching Steph Curry do that, that dribble routine mm-hmm. before the game. You're just like, yeah, I get to watch the the actual game. And I can see that Steph Curry's really good at dribbling. But when you isolate that skill to just him standing there and doing dribbling drills, it blows your mind, perhaps more captivating than anything he can do in an actual game. I kind of felt like that was Steph Curry doing dribbling drills, stationary dribbling drills or juggling tennis balls while dribbling was kind of like this mise en place. Yeah, so, so some of the MVPs I have uh, on this were uh, Sarah on the lamb chops, clearly, Victoire on peas, uh, Tom on peppers, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Buddha on the shrimp does 26, just throws it in a couple extra. <laughs> Why the hell not? Uh, yeah. Gabri prepping the yellowtail and Amar on oranges, because I, I got to tell you, like, I love, I work a lot with citrus and salads. Like, it's, just a, it's California. I'm all, I do my caracara orange avocado salad. And I have to say, though, that, that just sort of getting pith and in sectioning oranges and citrus is just such a pain in the ass. And to watch him just kind of, Wow, Amar was was amazing in that. Um, interesting enough, like, and you look at Ali, who is not incredibly fast as, as no. a prep guy, and so you do see kind of, and I imagine it has a lot to do with like, you know, did you work the line at a high intensity, high volume place, right? Um, but there's no there's no rhyme or or Victoire. Hey, as a child, you know, I was sitting there over, you know, peepaws and it became a contest among my siblings. Yeah. Um, or or Sarah saying, hey, look, you're a woman in the kitchen. Um, at a certain moment and you gotta you, you feel like you have to show uh, added value and one of the ways you can do that is just being really good on, on prep now i, I want to talk about the the kind of the, the one bit of personal conflict we saw was when the the, the team the, the yellow team with tom gabrielli had to divide up that third round who gets lamb chops who gets peppers who gets dates tom 
kind of usurped without unilaterally the peppers. Uh, Ali is the natural person for dates. He's a Middle Eastern chef. Dates are everywhere, uh, which left Gabri with something he's clearly never done before, which was to French lamb chops. Now, I, I would say to Tom, hey, dude, so part of the assignment process is not so much what you do well. It's what you don't do well. And yes. if there is a chef on your team who literally has zero experience working with lamb, it doesn't really matter if you're like turbocharged man on peppers and you want to impress. It's not really about that. Like you can't leave. Like in actuality, I would imagine that Ali is probably pretty decent at lamb. Again, as a Middle Eastern chef, I, I would imagine there's a lot of that on his menu. And so I think maybe the better assignment would have been Ali on lamb, give Tom his pep, his precious peppers and give Gabri dates. But uh, it, it did Look. cost them. Uh, ultimately, though, it didn't cost them because what we saw is my other point, which is deprivation is good. And we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, uh, this is why I was kind of bummed to see Tom win this episode because as the winner because of the the, the subtext of what he did to Gabri and the, and the team dynamics of him just ignoring Gabri being like, ah, I mean, when it, when anyone tells you like, I'm OK with it, but not my not my favorite, you know what that means. Translation, I don't want to do it. Let's find some other answer here. And it reminds me of like competitive advantage in economics 101, where it's like, it's not necessarily what you do well, it's what you do better than everybody else or your rival. And for Tom to stick a teammate with something he obviously doesn't do well, and then say, I can do that. I can do the the whole, um, you know, trimming the lamb, but I really want to do a red pepper. I really want to do that. Competitive advantage. You don't do the thing where Gabri is like, I, I, I can do a red pepper. Great. But my deficit at doing a lamb loin is way larger than the gain you're going to get on you doing the red pepper. And to me, that was kind of a dick move from, from Tom. Sorry, pardon the French here, but I think when you're Tom, I don't want to see that get rewarded. He gets the win on the, the entire elimination challenge when he kind of screwed over his teammate there. And I, I, I kind of felt for Gabri there. And like you said, in, in the end, even though they didn't have a protein in this dish, they, they were the winning team and all's well that ends well, I guess. But I thought that was, that was, I don't know. Tom has this kind of stubbornness to him, doesn't he? This, like yeah, we've no, seen we, it this we, we've season. We've talked about like, it. We, we've talked about it in selecting his own dishes on what to do. Uh, and, and, and sort of with teammates, I mean, he, he's a stubborn guy. Um, but was it, I'm not going to, I don't like, uh, what was the thing he didn't like? I don't like was... dry cookies. So I'm just going to basically make yeah. a cake instead, which <laughs> yeah. is fine. Um, but, uh, it, it, however, what's interesting is as is so often the case, I think in top chef that as I like to say, deprivation is good. So the team that got, uh, that clearly I think had you handicapped it, had the, the crappiest set of ingredients, right? I mean, avocados, I mean, peas, and red peppers, right? They're the one team without a protein. Um, and yet they win. And I think, again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a truism in top chef that sometimes deprivation is good. That if you narrow, if you just say to a chef, Hey, you're, you're only working with this. It's not a preferred item. You actually outperform because in whether that's judges have less expectations of what to expect from a pea dish or an avocado dish, or a red pepper dish, um, the humility of the ingredient then translates into, wow, and just look at what you did with this humble ingredient. Whereas, hey, hamachi, which was, I think, the prize of the field, largely because if you're doing a 30-minute challenge, 
Oh, yeah. It's, it's a crudo in waiting, right? It's a tartar in waiting, which is exactly what Victoire did. And by all accounts, she did a decent job. She did a, a calatura, which is a, a Italian fish sauce, dates, lemon, and hamachi. Probably delicious. And Oh, yeah. But probably a ceiling there as well. Meanwhile, the lamb people just all got infatuated with their lamb to a fall and ended up screwing themselves. So it was interesting that if you if you wanted to really pick nits and say, okay, the mise en place was fun to watch, but consequentially it wasn't really that big of a deal because you just get what you get. And someone like the, it turned out the best dishes were the supporting dishes, uh, the pea dishes, the pepper dishes, the, the avocado dishes. Um, you know, then even, you know, Buddha's date cake and, and whatever else that that's sort of the thing too. So again, once again, deprivation is good on top chef. You don't need the fancy stuff. In fact, sometimes getting the lousy item is the best, uh, road to victory. And I don't think the, the green team with their lamb, um, lamb three ways. I don't even think they had bad dishes. I think it was just the least great dishes. Cause like, we play, they played up the whole, Hey, uh, this is a little surprising. So you decided to do each of you are going to do lamb instead of doing three separate dishes, um, with three separate ingredients. I think that that was a case of, Hey, we have to create and stoke some sort of conflict here, a reason for them to be in the bottom because for all intents and purposes, it seemed like they were all good dishes. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say that I, I think they're clearly Charbel put out a very bland piece of seared lamb loin, a roasted carrot that got kind of, you know, the, the way in, in the, I love to roast carrots and sometimes it, they just come up, they, it comes out kind of chewy or twiggish. And apparently he didn't execute that. And then, OK, a carrot Dijonet puree, which is bright on the plate, but basically just a puree. I mean, basically he didn't. He, I mean, the irony of, of this great, intricate episode where, God, it just was constantly moving. It was fantastic. Is the person who went home went home because he didn't execute his protein. It goes back to didn't execute his protein, right? Um, Amar, it, it wasn't a bad protein. It just was tasteless, which I yeah. guess is the bad but protein. No, no, but it, but it, it is, and I thought that, like, who was it on the thing? Who said, I think it was Tom on the judge's table said, hey, or, or was it Gail who said, you didn't actually, if you're highlighting lamb, you didn't do the lamb justice, right? Yeah. Um, now, Amar is interesting because he does a, He's got, I mean, he, so Amar of all the nine chefs, he violated the spirit of the, of the dish the most and not featuring the item he was supposed to feature. Right. He went with the pear, prickly pear gastric. Guess what though, Kevin, what? he chose the prickly pear. No one else wanted to do it. So he took the fall for it. And so he it's used not, the prickly no fall. pear. But, but, but Tom, we just learned there's no fall. Like you get peas, you do a great pea dish, you get fucking avocados, you do an avocado dish, right? Like... But prickly yeah, yeah. pear on the board. If I give you nine ingredients, isn't pick prickly pear like the number sure, nine? Sure, but it's also, but it's also. I, I think what we've seen is is the expectations are measured. And imagine he does a prickly pear, like let's say he does a, a a prickly pear salad with like seared lamb, right? Like almost a larb. Like you can come up with really interesting prickly prickly pear um, dishes where you've got the protein accompaniment. And wow, sure. it just is great. Like, like I think the other chefs prove that you can take, I mean, peppers for God's sake. I don't even like red peppers. Yeah, um, no yeah. one likes red peppers. And yet, in fact, you know, oh, by the way, I want to, I want to say better than David Filber, the fermentation king, who was the guest judge was great. Another thing I to love about him. this episode. Yes. He, he kind of felt very pack your knives, man. Like I kind of felt like, 
like I just liked his brand of analysis and his energy. Like they've done a great job of bringing in great judges this season. And I could listen to David Silver. I want him as a regular. Like he was fantastic. But as he said, you know, I mean, there, what is more dejecting than getting a, a plate on the table that is a roasted red pepper? As, and and he created a winning dish out of that. Like I refuse to believe that a creative chef can't take prickly pear and just say and have Gail Simmons say, like you have elevated prickly pear to like that's that's the game. And so I'm not here. I'm not kind of. I totally understand what Amar did, and frankly, that Harissa grilled lamb chop looked good, and you know yeah, it was it good because it was yeah. Amar, and Amar just. Nobody does like pro- hearty proteins like Amar. Like he's just he's a wizard. But it almost cost him. And if not for Charbel putting out a bland lamb, he's gone. I I I would be so mad if Amar was was kicked off for that that dish because look, Charbel and Sarah could have done the prickly pear, but he stepped up to the plate and said, "I'll take the thing that no one wants and I'll make a dish with it." And yes, it was muted. Yes, it was background noise in his overall dish. But I feel I felt like he did them a solid by picking the by taking that off their plate. And for Charbel, who, by the way, 25 years old, he's 25 on this show. He's on the Top Chef World All Stars and he just became like legal age of drinking 25. He can now get a rental car under his own name in America. And he's on the World All Stars of Top Chef like Hats off to that dude. He just won and was one of the top point getters on this show this season. And he gets sent home for this bland or a little boring dish um, of lamb loin, the carrot, and and just kind of it was a little bit gummy. But um, I'm I'm with you. David Zilber, who, uh, for those who don't know, like the Noma guide to fermentation, which should be on in everybody's if you're if you're in working at home as a, as a cook or you like fermenting anything get that book it's fantastic and he is a great judge and i was um just kind of like it seemed like he was you know could have been a top chef uh a mainstay on top Mm -hmm. chef that's how good he was it just seemed like his chemistry with the rest of the crew it was top notch and yes charbel had to go home because it was a bland plate of food but i also think that amar and sarah produced and Sarah in particular produced pretty good dishes. Yes. Um, and this, this was a case, Kevin, although Tom didn't say, and he always says this when it's, um, applicable is this is just the best food we've had all season. He, I think he could have said this for this episode because even though that they were the losing team, I felt like Charbel, while he did have the losing dish, it was better than any of the losing dishes we've seen this season. I, I mean, do you think it was? I mean, I, I don't know, and I think it's a function really of time, not not of the chefs. I don't think it was the best food they'd had all season. It didn't look like it. Like, I think I, I, no one no one had any other thing. I mean, look, let's just go through them: shrimp tempura, Nicole's Thai curry sauce. No one had anything really fancy to say. Hamachi tartar. Yeah, it was nice. The dates had a little sweet. Date cake. I don't think they had much to say about the date cake. You know, um, you know, Sarah's dish was clearly the standout of that one, and, and, and good for her for actually kind of being able to work orange into about three different elements on that plate. But I didn't get the sense that this was like earth-shattering food. I think it was, oh, you, you did a nice job with a, a humble red pepper. You did a nice job with humble peas. You did a nice job with the humble avocado. Like, I don't Maybe I should say, given the constraints of 30 minutes, yes, they were. Yeah, I think yeah. the judges were impressed with not just the quality of food, but the, the, the innovation of the dish. Like, you have to come up with this dish. And I thought it was interesting is 
they they didn't seem to be allowed to talk about their dishes until the clock started. Did you notice that? So they had th- they had ten minute revolving uh, right. rounds, and as soon as the green team was able to go, then they huddled up and said, "This is what I'm going to do." And I thought that was interesting. Is that not only did you have to cook only in thirty minutes, but you had to create your menu in that time. So it was uh, in terms of tall tasks, it was. Um, it was as difficult of a, of a challenge as we've seen on this show, um, the speed and just learning your teammates. Like this wasn't, you weren't handpicking your teammates. This wasn't a draft of teammates. This was drawing knives and those are your teammates deal with it. And yes, uh, I should have corrected myself. It wasn't necessarily the best food that they got this season, but in terms of like um, successful dishes in the brief. Right. There were, no, was, there were no clunkers. It, it seemed like other than, other than Charbal's. Yeah, and Amar only because it wasn't because it didn't taste good. It just he didn't he he kind of he fudged the prickly pear situation, right? And so I, I mean, um, I I take a little bit issue of Tom winning this episode after what he did to Gabri, but I'll, it's fine. Ali on my team gets five points for that. Gabri gets the five points um, for his charred avocado, and he continues to just provide the most bang for his buck on our draft. I even took a guy who is already eliminated over Gabri and Gabri has now delivered several impressive performances this season, even while he trips on his own feet in the, in the kitchen and gets back up and produces a really strong dish. Um, I, I used to have avocado sliced avocado with olive oil and salt during my lunch meals every day. And some people say you're putting oil on avocado. He does it here with a little bit of bacon fat. And it seemed like oil on something that is kind of heavy and an avocado and fatty. But I love that. I love a, um, sliced avocado with some olive oil, what have you, and some salt on there. I don't have any acid in it, and I, it was good to see Gabri do that um, with a little bit of acid on his dish. Yeah, by the way, a soy sauce vinaigrette, I, I thought was so fascinating because it's it's not generally the flavor profile. It, it's not something you associate with avocado. Um, it was such a, it was a really fun choice for acid, and I, I, I love that. In fact, I kind of, it's inspired me because like you, I will often just, you know, avocado for lunch. It's just a beautiful thing. It's, I like to sprinkle that, like, um, you know, like in, uh, in the Latino supermarket, you can get the, it's sort of a chili powder with little dried lime, mm-hmm. um, kind of spice. And I love putting that on there or sometimes I'll even go old Bay like seasoning a, and like a tagine um, or something like that. Like, n- oh, oh yeah. no, 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 like, like, and so, so it, it is, um, and so to, to put, um, you know, soy sauce, that was, fr- I, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. Like that's just a great yeah. fun uh, I think, by the way, Tom, big news here okay. at um, Pack Your Knives um, Los Angeles headquarters is we have planted two Haas avocado trees. Now, Ooh. it's going to be a couple of years, I think, before they start delivering fruit. But I might be living in a world very shortly where I'm one of those people who shows up at dinner parties in Los Angeles with like a brown sack of avocados rather than bringing wine because I, I might be awash <laughs> And delicious Haas avocados. This is the ultimate Los Angeles lifestyle flex is when you start planting avocado and citrus trees, which I have done now. Um, I've got some Meyer lemons coming in. Uh, Wait, some limes coming you've in. got Meyer lemons yes. and avocados? Man, and, you're and, and brown turkey figs. 
So I am I am going I am going hard on fruit trees. What and is the ultimate boss in that? In the Mortal Kombat, you have to hit the different bosses to get to the the final boss. Like in L.A. flexes, uh, you've got a yuzu you've got the op- tree. A yuzu. Oh, a yuzu tree. That, That's the I'm, final. I'm boss? thinking about that for next year. Is a yuzu wow. tree. But Kevin, Kevin, let me get this straight. Um, so you're gonna have avocado, Meyer lemon uh, tree. You've got figs. the dates, uh, figs. Sorry, figs, and and satsuma I, tangerines. Wow, already already yielding fruit this winter. Back, Kevin, of, you, over now. Kevin, you do, um, or you did at least. You did like a coaching um, scouting report on all NBA coaches. And I'm wondering, like up and coming, it's one of the, the best pieces you've ever done is the up and coming kind of the, the, the scouting report on assistant coaches in the NBA, who's going to be the next great head coach. And you do this, it was a staple of your, of your annual, uh, writing portfolio. And so you have a really keen eye for coaching. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to know watching this episode, who was the, who, who needs some coaching coaching? Okay. Cause I saw Buddha, Buddha coaching up. Uh, who was it? Um, was it, uh, it was Victoire maybe? I think it was Victoire. He was trying to coach Victoire on how to do her dish or, uh, how to fillet, was it filleting the, the hamachi? Was it? I'm yes. trying to remember what it was. Yeah. I believe so. And he was trying to give her some tips and, uh, I don't know if it was very successful, but I love that he was trying to coach his teammate on the, the particulars of filleting the hamachi. And then... You had, <laughs> sorry, the prickly pear situation. <laughs> then you had the prickly pear situation and Tom with the whole Gabri and how he's trying to coach up Gabri and trying to teach him how to do the lamb loin and the ribs and, and, and filleting that. And Gabri nearly punched him in the face. It yes. seemed like he wasn't receiving that kind of coaching, Kevin. So do you have any pointers here for the coaches, Buddha and Tom, on how to coach more effectively in, in these mise en place when you're on the clock and you're stressed out and you might not know how to do it? Maybe some pointers here. I mean, I don't know, like tell a joke. But <laughs> I, that was it was painful because we've all been where Gabri is, right, where like you don't have the skills to actually do it. The, the contributions coming from the peanut gallery are not helping. Uh you know, there's a little bit of a language barrier, not much, but Tom clearly isn't terribly articulate about whatever instruction he thought he was imparting. Yeah. And um, yeah, the prickly pear thing was also kind of funny because um, Nicole was just peeling it and <laughs> yes, than pairing. That, and that's what I it was. Yes. Yeah, and I think I, I think I think the best coaching of teammates is probably not coaching teammates unless they ask for it. That's right. And I, I think that is because it's just and by the way, we've also all been where Buddha and Tom are like there's nothing more excruciating than watching someone just completely, you know, lay an egg on a task that you can probably do more efficiently. Did you know, did, were there any picks on the draft of the ingredients that surprised you? So in the first one, um, I think the hamachi went first then oranges, then avocado. I, I was surprised that Team Green went with the oranges over the avocado. I would say you. Because avocado, I mean, the versatility, I guess, is 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 the thing that was is noted. And it, it is truly more versatile. Um, avocado is harder maybe to feature. If we think about avocado, it tends to act as an accompaniment. Then again, so does orange. I mean, it's an accent, right? So that, that surprised me a little bit. Um, it didn't surprise me, and I'm sure it didn't surprise you, that as a, as a 
as a defensive measure to take shrimp, even though you already have Hamachi. Yes. I loved that. Yeah. And I guess then, you could have done a crudo. I'm surprised no one did a crudo with, uh, or, or, um, a ceviche with Hamachi and shrimp. I guess Victoire kind of did that, but not fully with the shrimp, um, to incorporate both of those. But yeah, yeah. I was surprised, um, that didn't go down. But again, I mean, it, it, it's not a flaw in the challenge. But I think one thing we learned is is that there was no correlation between prestige of ingredient used and outcome this yes. week, right? Again, the winning team was the team with the sloppy seconds and thirds, right? Um, the lamb was, if anything, a problem for two of the three chefs who used it, uh, including the one who featured it. Went home and they and they had the number one pick, right? Right. You, they, they were like, "Thank God we got a protein, and thank yeah. God we have lamb." And we saw already Amar win with a lamb shank. So there's already a track record of success here, and it seemed to be their undoing. Although I still contend those are three pretty solid dishes, right. including Sarah's, who might have won the whole thing if she was on the winning team. But you could also imagine, like, uh, here here's a counterfactual: they don't get the French lamb chops; they get the peppers instead. Now Lamar's got to do a prickly pear dish with peppers. Well, now you do kind of a salad. Now you do a fun whatever, or you do, you know, vegetarian freaking fajitas or something, you know, um, and, you know, top with a lovely cheese. You know, it, it's like I think he does his own tortillas. Like imagine a world where, OK, that's that is it's prickly pear and and no lamb chop. Like I think that. If there's one unsatisfying thing is, is that the consequences ended up not really being consequences. In fact, there was no correlation whatsoever. The advantage of winning mise en place was rendered at best neutral and at worst kind of uh, cursed. It's just too much of a good thing. Right. And, and, and even even we saw that the fish. I mean, so you would expect that. Oh, wow. If you're telling me now, I mean, let me ask you a, a question you often ask me. Is, okay, going in, we've divided up. We now know which every team is going to use for the 30-minute challenge. And I told you, hey, there's a team with Buddha and Victoire and Nicole each doing a fish protein. I got to think you're telling me that those are the odds-on favorites. Yes, yes. Uh, ooh, green team with lamb as their protein with Amar and Sarah and Charvel. That, that's pretty close. I would say... Yes, the yellow team would come at last here if I if I was doing a draft board of avocado peas, red peppers with Ali, Tom, and Gabri, partly because of the the chemistry issues that I would foresee with with uh, Tom and Gabri, two very different personalities on the same team and having to work together. But with those ingredients, yeah, it's not it's not blowing me away. And I would say, Kevin, this follows one of the truisms of Pack Your Knives analytics lore, which is the team that has the first pick often backfires having to draft your own team and having the first pick or the ability to draft your own team. Oftentimes more often than not, it backfires. That is actually a disadvantage. And we've uh, in past episodes of pack your knives, we've gone back and done the research and found that if you do have the number one pick or you get to draft your own team because you won the quick fire, that inevitably is just like a, it, it, it is actually not a blessing. It is actually a curse. And so what we have here is the yellow team, which I don't think performed all that well in the Mies and Plus races and end up not having a protein. And in just perfect top chef uh, storytelling, that actually comes back and it benefits them. So 
like just another example, another data point to support the idea that having the pick of the litter is actually going to backfire. Um, and it happened here in the, in the Mies and Plus race. And I, I, all right, let's, let's peel back a little bit here. Kevin had this question for getting ingredients, which team did you think had the most star power, at least odds on favorite when you're just looking at the, the personnel. So team red was Nicole Buddha and Victoire. Team Green was Charbel, Sarah, and Amar. And Yellow was Ali, Tom, and Gabri. Of those three teams, which one do you think, on a three-on-three tournament, you would pick to win? I, I mean, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but I tell you, there's a really even distribution of talent, not just because there's so much parity in the competition, but because even if you want to sort of say, you know, stars, you know, if, if you're somebody who, who feels like right now the three best chefs in the competition are Ali, Buddha and Amar given recent performance. Well, they're divvied up. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think like, okay, who would be next? Like Sarah, you know, Nicole has been playing. It's like, I, it actually, I just think it was a really even field. Uh, there, there, I didn't, I didn't, usually you have the visceral reaction. If you follow the show closely, when you look at those teams, like, oh, they're screwed, right? Like, oh, they're, oh, that's a power. No, I, you didn't have any of that, right? It just seemed like there was equal distribution of talent across the board. Um, particularly when cop you consider out. It, it's a cop out answer, it's Kevin. a cop out answer, but I mean, I'm, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> like I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not a man devoid of opinions. I just think here, it just was a complete, it was, it was really good distribution, of talent, especially when you consider it's a 30 minute competition. So it is a quick fire, almost last chance kitchen type situation. We're not doing the full on meal. Like you, you take a lot of tools out of the toolbox. You know, Tom, I think is a particularly strong chef, even though I know he's, he, he's suffered from his ambition, but I don't love him in a 30 minute competition. Yeah. I just don't. And yeah. I don't love him in a, in a, in a team aspect. No, certainly Kevin, not. I have it the opposite of how it played out. I, my big board would have been team green, team red, and then team yellow just based on the personnel and the, and the personalities and the chemistry aspect. I was wrong, obviously, that it was actually the opposite. Green team was in the bottom, the yellow team was on top, and red was in the middle. Because um, I think Buddha is individually probably the Michael Jordan of this competition. However, in a team aspect, um, he can get kind of, uh, not a, maybe a prickly pear when it, when it comes to just team dynamics. And we've seen that this, this season with some sort of disagreements or just, uh, Hey, Hey, back off a little bit. Um, and we, you know, I, I think in an individual challenge, he's, he's sensational. Um, but I just think that when you got Ali and Tom and Gabri, I, I just do not like Tom and Gabri's and it, their dynamics. And it, it played out in the mise en place, but ultimately it didn't matter because they went their separate ways in the, in the challenge and they cooked their tails off and the red pepper has the winning dish. So Tom gets the plus 10. He's back, um, in the competition. He's essentially, um, in terms of points, like he might not be the best, but, um, he's still in the competition and coming off a big win here. And if we're looking at the most points right now on the board, Kevin, We've got Ali with 39 overall points. We've got Buddha with 32. And then coming in third points on the overall standings with Nicole. Those last two on your team. And then I've got Charbel, who got eliminated, of course, and goes to Last Chance Kitchen. Um, but he had 32 points heading into this week and ends up being on the bottom in both competitions, the the quick fire and the elimination. Not great timing for him, but as a 25-year-old, you know, dude, you're awesome. And then um 
you know, look, looking at rounding it out, Tom has 28, um, Sarah with 23, Amar has 27, Victoire has 24. Um, and we actually got Kevin, the, the list of contestants that have not been in the bottom yet in this whole season has been whittled down from three to one Charbel, Sarah off the board. And now you're, uh, just an absolute, um, you've been a huge fan throughout this season, a gem on your team. Nicole has yet to be in the bottom. I'm not talking about quick fire. She was in the bottom on the quick fire this week, but in the elimination challenge, she has yet to be on the bottom and she is checking in at 30 points third on the overall scoring. Uh, before we, we, we head off, I, I want to preview restaurant wars for a little bit because I, I think it's, it's one of the, first of all, it's, it's just one of the great signature events in all of reality um, competition television. There's nothing like restaurant wars, in my opinion. It is, it is what, and, and everybody knows it, and and you could see it from the preview after the episode. It is, it, you could, they they lean into the fact that it is the singular event of this, even more than I think the finale. Now, there's always this debate, Tom. Do you want front of the house? Do you want to be exec chef? I mean, one of the kind of intrinsic flaws, it, it may be not a flaw, but a, 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 certainly a distinguishing characteristic of restaurant wars is you really put yourself at risk. If you choose one of those two positions, yes. executive chef or front of the house, you're always better being on on the line right now. Who I, I'm, I'm curious, front of the house candidates. OK, so I would say first and foremost, Sarah, am I am I correct there? I think Sarah, Amar and Gabri front of house are my that's my big board. Front Why of do house, you have Gabri as front of the house? Uh, everyone loves Gabri. Everyone loves him. In I feel words, he's like just, he's, he's just an infectious personality who will make you feel welcome in the kitchen, in the yes. restaurant. Okay. Yes. I think he has an infectious personality. Um, I think he would be, he's a little clumsy as we saw in this episode. Right. Um, but I think he has the sort of energy that you need to be in the front of house. Sarah, um, she, she has her own restaurant. She knows yeah. she's just incredible, uh, char charismatic personality. Um, and she's great command of the room. So I feel like she'd be attentive and understanding the different dynamics at play when you're in front of house. Um, and Amar, I just think as just a bright personality who has open restaurants and has multiple restaurants there in LA, I feel like he would know what it takes to run front of house. Uh, and he's just the most positive energy on the show. Um, no matter what, he's just always upbeat. And I think you need that as a, as front of house in terms I, I of think Amar is a locker room guy. Like he is the ultimate locker room guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, um, He's Juan Toscano Anderson. Uh, he, I mean, he's better than Juan, Juan Toscano okay. Anderson in terms of uh, his actual play, but he's, he's a guy that everyone just wants. Uh, he's the best man. He's, he's the eternal best man at the wedding where it's just like, yeah, that guy, I want to be running the show. Uh, and he's just, he's going to be the life of the party. So Amar, um, what about executive chef? So the executive chef who's basically running the kitchen, who's on your big board? I mean, I think it, it, you got to start with Buddha. Like yeah. Buddha is yeah. is a guy who has done this. He's authoritative. Uh, he he he's bossy, not too bossy. He's usually right. Now look, Aliyah's got a very renowned restaurant in um in Amman, and it is I think it's a decent size. He clearly has vision, and I would think he. Be, but also I, I would also go with Nicole as well, although I think she could be just she's a doer, and I do think she could just make that line work. Um, yep. but it's, uh, you know, it, it's a tough call. I, 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 I would don't say know. Buddha's number one on my book. Yeah. And, and secondly, 
uh, beyond his his acumen and beyond his uh, style and his en- energy and his personality, that all leads to being a great executive chef. I do think that he has moneyballed Top Chef to the extent where he knows what works and what doesn't on restaurant wars. He's probably studied it. He probably knows every single dish that's been put out on restaurant wars and every single winner and every single loser, because as we know from past seasons, he is a top chefologist. And so I think Buddha would be the number one pick on executive. Um, Ali would be two. And I think, um, I think Victoire would be my number one pick in terms of sous chef. Uh, she has clearly shown an ability to, um, her, I think the, the language barrier is the toughest thing is if you're trying to communicate through the, with the room, it's probably not best ideal to have someone who just learned the language in four, four months ago before appearing on the show. Um, and it seems like that would be, um, smart for her in the sense that we know if you want to stay on the competition, you don't want executive and you don't want front of house because those are, there's a high risk, high reward, um, positions. And so I think on my big board, I think, yeah, Buddha's number one on my executive, then Ali and then threes. Mm, I think I actually have Nicole at number two and then Ali at number three for executive chef. Um, uh, uh, uh- I am a big fan of Tom, as you know, like I, I drafted him high. I think there is incredible talent there. He is a guy I really worry about no matter where you put him because yes, he has a ton of red flags and, they're, and, they're, and for all different reasons. I mean, one is he's stubborn. Two, he just doesn't listen. Um, three, he works with too many components. And in restaurant wars, it's just you you need to simplify things a little bit. Um, you need you need to create dishes that can be done efficiently and without a lot with a, without a lot of fuss and yet still wow. He seems resistant to that. He he does suffer from. I didn't come to Top Chef to play it safe. I we all get that and we all admire that as a skill. It's not about playing it safe. It's about conforming to the restraints of the challenge. He seems to have real issues with that, and he doesn't play well with others. And so Tom, to me, is a big red flag. And I say this as someone who's rooting for him, who loves his ideas. I think he is one of the most creative chefs in the field. But he just he's somebody I would worry about. I'd worry, clearly worry in the front of the house. I'd worry about him as executive chef. I'd certainly worry about him on the line. And so, you know, he is somebody who will torpedo an executive chef. Right. And I think if you, um, if you're watching the NBA, you might think that Giannis and Adekupo might be the MVP of the league, but in a skills challenge, you're probably not picking him. It's no knock. Oh, I he don't know. He's, he's got, no, he's got, he's a good passer. He's uh, a great I don't, passer. I don't, it, dribbling and passing, oh, you would take him over the field. Mm, let me take him over a lot of stars. Yeah. I'm just saying, as, I don't think of him as being the unrefined superstar. I mean, how many MVPs are We're done. unrefined? That is the sound of 70% of our listeners now clicking off this <laughs> late into the episode as we, as you and I start to have an NBA sports part of it. Anyway. Well, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is Tom, as great as he is, like restaurant wars is not his strength. No, it is not. His, not I'm not going to pick him in restaurant wars. Um, so now let me just counter this and ask you, Kevin, if you found yourself, Kevin Arnovitz, on Tom's team, what position do you put him at? I'm going to tell you right now. I put him as executive chef. Wow. I put him as executive you say, chef. Because I'm his strength gonna, is, if yeah. he's stubborn, let him. Let's put it this way. Here's a position I don't want as a contestant. I don't want to be, per, I do not want to be executive chef with Tom on my line. 
I would rather say we all know the history. You want you know, if I get Tom and Tom's on the team, dude. You want to boss people, be executive chef. We're going to be the losing team, and I'm not going home, and I can live with that. Like I honestly believe, if I were, if you told me, if I'm, let's say, uh, I'm, let's say I'm Victoire or I'm whoever, uh, Amar, I am, and it's me, Tom, and two others. And there's a natural one of your, and they'll say one of those people is a Sarah or a, or a front of the house person, and another one of those people is a replacement player. It doesn't matter. I am not going to be executive chef with Tom on the line. It is it is a recipe for disaster because you know, he is going to he's going to be too ponderous in his dish. He's going to have too many components. He's not going to care. It's going to be about his dish, um, and. You know, I, I just I he, he you you make him executive chef. You take the L. You're probably going to lose, and you're probably not going home yourself. Kevin, you're I love do this. Your job. Also, I love this because the fact of the matter is, you can convince him that it's a win, that it's a compliment. Hey, hey, you know what, Tom? I think you'd be a great executive. Oh, of chef. course. No, you don't say like. No, the answer is not. Oh, you asshole. You're executive chef because I'm not going home with you. As I know, the answer is, oh, Tom, by all means, you have a great vision. And, and he does. Like, the thing is, I like Tom as a chef. Like, I feel strong about him going forward. I think if he can just get out of his own way a little bit and stop being stubborn um, in his individual challenges, I think he'd be at the among the points leaders right now. Um, okay. This isn't, a, I just think that, like, he has particular qualities for this particular show and particularly for this event, Restaurant Wars. That just screamed disaster. You know what's cool? I just realized this, Kevin. You have four chefs in the competition. I have four chefs in the competition. So we could actually do this. Kevin, Buddha, Tom, Nicole, and Gabri. You're the GM. You're the coach. All right. You've got four chef testants. Buddha, Tom, Nicole, and Gabri. They're on your restaurant wars team. Give me their positions. Because now it's Buddha or Tom for executive. All right, you hmm. know what else you do? Tom is tall and handsome. You put him in the front of the house. Wow, you just you put him in the front of the house. Just three seconds ago, just said you make him the executive chef, and now you're putting. Well, him no, in front I of just, house? but I have Buddha. But I have Buddha. All right, so okay. if I'm Buddha, all right, so if I'm Buddha, now, like in other words, I'm the coach. Am I like is my life depending? So, because here's the question for your game. Yes. If, if I'm the general manager of the restaurant, or the owner and the investor, are you telling me? that my life depends on winning, um, then I still want Buddha as executive chef. If you're telling me I'm Buddha and these are my three teammates, I want Tom as executive chef. Um, I think one way to maybe do this is just make Tom, um, which is hilarious. Like, I mean, it's like if you do ethnic jokes of like the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the last person you want in the front of the house is a German, right? Um, <laughs> right, right, of course. in Tom's case, yeah. he's handsome. He has a nice smile. He's tall. Um, he and he's, he's the he's celebrity confident. cruise guy. Like he's the, yeah. he's the cruise ship. You know what? Um, you know, like, hey, let me say this uh, radical. Now, now I'm going to throw, I just said, make him executive chef. Maybe you make him front of the house. Then I forget he's the love boat guy. Maybe you make him Isaac. No, Isaac's the bartender. You make him, um, you know, uh, What's the guy so who, was, I'm, I, who was the guy that I, was the congressman? It was before in, my um, time. Come on. You're talking to uh, someone who was born yes. in 1986. I was Please. born in 1841. So, yes. I was, <laughs> All um, right. So you got you got Tom front, front of, of house, house. Front of the house. Buddha. I forgot he's a executive. And then Nicole and Gabri for your sous chefs. 
and that's to win. I'm I'm saying Nicole's Nicole's an engine. Like she's, um, I ask Nicole is good. Also, she can get a little prickly. I don't know that I want her. I kind of want her taking orders, not giving them. Okay. Do you want to hear my picks? Yeah. So I've got Ali. You've got an easier one. Sarah, Amar, and Victoire. Okay. I'll start with the, the easiest thing for me is I'm putting Sarah front of house. Of course. I think she'd be my number one pick for front of house. I'm feeling great about that. Um, uh, Victoire is going to be my sous chef. Mm-hmm. One of the two sous chefs. You got it. The tough one for me that I'm debating is Ali or Amar because I think Amar is probably the best teammate. Um, and so I think he would be a great listener and taking of orders and he'd be totally fine with it. Um, I'm going to put Amar as my sous chef and then Ali as my executive. I chef. think that's correct. I think Amar is a glue guy and there's something and he's also just he's just efficient, too. And, and I think that you just that's a guy you want, the no ego guy. He like like he and Victoire on the line. Like, I like your team for this particular competition. I don't love my team for that. Um, and also, as far as all as much, oh, I'm doing Gabriel in front of the house. Gabriel is friendly, but he's not the most organized dude in the world. That's right. Right. Even though like, he can kick like ass front of the on house is not just, Amachi. Right. Yeah. Uh, front of the house is more than just giving a smile. It's it's he has effervescent energy, but he doesn't have calming energy. Right. He's a little emotional. Like I, I do think like I could see him getting very frenzied in the front of the house. If you, and in fact, I might put Nicole in the front of the house. Um, because I do think she does kind of, there, there is a different confidence. I, I don't know. It, it's a, you have a much better team for restaurant wars, by the way, I think going forward, I, I'll take my four chefs against your four chefs in terms of skill and competition on a, on an average week. I think for restaurant wars, you have a beautifully structured mm. team, whereas I have problems all over the place. Anyway, closing right, thoughts, think, Tom. Yeah. Well, let's let's real quick hit the last chance kitchen. Dale oh, versus yeah, Sylvia. Do that. Dale versus Sylvia had to do a omelet, a French mm-hmm. omelet. Um, and as someone who uh, every Saturday morning I make an omelet for for me and my wife. Um, and I'm not a French omelet guy. I got to be honest. I, I like I like to saute some mushrooms, some onions, uh, some spinach or kale, uh, in the pan. And then I throw the heat way down and I take my saute, my, my whipped, um, whisked, uh, two eggs. I don't do a la Arnovitz, which is just two egg yolks. Um, I do two eggs, whisk them up. And then while the pan is really, you know, lukewarm and I don't want to burn as soon as I pour the uh, egg puree on there, I put the egg puree, I flip it once. I do the little like pushing. I don't know what you call it, what the scientific term is or the, the technical term of pushing the, the puree around, the egg puree around. But then I flip it once just to get it cooked and for a hot second, then I flip it back and then um, and then do the half. That's how I do what my wife calls a tomlet in my house. So I was actually nice. interested to see how they did it. An omelet challenge for last chance kitchen. Sylvia does an Arnold Bennett omelet, which is just the heaviest thing in the most, uh, Sylvia way possible. It's got hollandaise. It's got truffles. It's got fish in it. Um, and she throws it in the oven and bakes it. Uh, and it turns out it gets a little overcooked. Whereas Dale, just the ever precise, um, 
tweezery is not the word, even though he looks like a, someone who would be a tweezery chef, he is going to do the classic French omelet with mushrooms and spinach. When Tom Calicchio asks him why mushrooms and spinach, he just says, cause I like mushrooms and spinach, dude. Um, it's really tasty. And he actually wins, um, the challenge. And it was, it was interesting to see, uh, last chance kitchen. They don't have the peanut gallery anymore. We don't have like the seven seats there watching the competition. Perhaps it was, you know, a concession of just like, Hey, we're not going to keep you locked up in your hotel room for, for longer than you need to. You all are already winners on top chef finalists on top chef. We can send you home. And so there was no peanut gallery here. Dale moves on to Last Chance Kitchen. Will face Charbel, which we will review on the next episode. Um, but right now, Kevin, Dale is still alive. Our guest, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, we had Dale McKay on the show last week. Um even though Tom liked to just really make fun of him in this last chance kitchen, basically laying into him and saying, Sylvia, you lasted two times as long on the competition than Dale did. And Dale's like, what the heck, dude? So uh, Dale moves on. Um, Kevin, the standings as it stands. I have 126 points. You have 107. You had a big week. You had the winning team with Buddha and Tom, and I just slide in with Ali, but I lose Charbel, one of my top scorers on the squad. And Sarah clocks in with a zero, a big fat zero, even though I think she probably deserved to be a two. And maybe if she was on the right team, she would have been a five or a 10. But because she was on the losing team, she gets zero and Amara gets zero. And Victoire, moving right along with a, a two points because she just was in the middle. Um, she's going to be at Restaurant Wars. Restaurant Wars is next week. Kevin, any other thoughts based on Last Chance Kitchen and where we're at? No, I am stoked. I love Restaurant Wars. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.